either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Another busy week in the screening room, and actually nothing in the lobby, but yet we find something in the lobby, and we'll get to all that. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we'll start with one we've been looking forward to for a while. A famous horror writer finds inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. It's called Shirley. Well, you were invited to stay here for a few days until we can find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head. I read your story. What are you doing in here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Do you know what it's like to have a secret? What are you up to? What becomes of your dear heroine? What happens to all lost girls? Well, how much have we been looking forward to this one? A lot. A lot. A lot. Shirley is Shirley Jackson, famous horror writer. Most people, if they're not that familiar, they at least know The Lottery. Yeah, or The Haunting of Hill House. And this one is a fictionalized version, even though she she is real and the other characters, including her husband, uh, are real. This is a fictionalized version of events that lead her to be inspired to write her novel, Hangs a Man. Yeah, and it's directed by Josephine Deckard. A lot of people probably don't know who that is. We got a chance Get to know her. <laughs> <laughs> we had a chance to see her just and meet her. Yeah, yeah her yeah. glorious film, Thou Wast Mild and Lovely, at the Washington Center for the Arts, and she was there, and we talked to her, and she's such a wonderful hypnotic yes. filmmaker. In fact, it's such a, a strange title. Say that title one more time. Thou Wast. Mild and lovely. If you look up that movie, we don't want to say anything about it because it takes a turn. It really takes a turn. We loved it. Anyway, so she was the perfect person to bring this to the screen. And you talk about two perfect actors. I mean, Elizabeth Moss, and sometimes we have we have been praising Elizabeth Moss on this as, on this uh, podcast for a while now, as, as everybody has. Sure, been, absolutely. Because with each role, she just you you just stand back and go. Man, she's great, yeah. and and every time she's just even greater. She's fantastic as uh, Shirley Jackson, and we talked about it after we watched this movie. When when two great actors get together, it's all I bet they they feel in themselves like a like a great athlete. Yeah, you know when you find somebody just as good as you are out on the field or out on the court, you're like, yeah, yeah, now we're talking. And she gets in there with Michael Stuhlbarg, and they go at uh, it's it's just beautiful to watch. It really is. He plays her husband. He plays Shirley Jackson's husband. You know, a manipulative, just a fascinatingly layered character. Yeah. And but but and so individually, the two characters are so well realized and so fascinating to watch. But yes, to see them spar and the just unhealthy, fascinating dynamic that they develop between these two characters. It is worth the whole film, although the whole film is very good. But these two together, wow, if they don't get, both of them don't get Oscar nominations, I will be shocked. Yeah, they, they're fantastic. And as you might guess, it's very character-driven. Not a lot of shoot 'em ups not a lot of action in this, but it still, it, it holds your attention as the couple. They take in this young couple to well at first you think they're only going to stay with them a few days but oh no you you know pretty much early on that uh, the, the the plan from 
Shirley Jackson's husband is to just basically have have the wife who's pregnant at the time yeah. be like a maid. Yeah. And then the He's going to take advantage of the husband as well. I mean yes, the whole thing. Yes. And you'll see in in those characters, you'll see a lot of the themes that you're used to in Shirley Jackson's work, not just not just in Hangs a Man, but in just across all of her work. And uh, the way I, I also think that the relationship between Rose, the young woman in the house, and Shirley Jackson is yeah. very interesting. Yeah, very. And also the way that they play with reality as Shirley is using Rose to help her create a character in her mm-hmm. head for the novel she's writing. It's so that there are moments where you're not sure what's really happening. Is it really happening? Is it imagined? And sometimes I find that very mm, cloying and annoying in a film, but I thought it worked really well in this movie. Yeah, and it deals with... The complexities of Shirley Jackson's real personality, her bouts with agoraphobia, Mm -hmm. are dealt here. And the times when she tries to break through that and the consequences are are fascinating. Um, And it's brought to such glorious life by Elizabeth Moss and Michael Stuhlbarg. They're so great together. Even if the rest of the movie wasn't any good, the two of them would be worth worth seeking it out. 100%. Because they're so good. And this is actually based on, it's based on a novel. And then the screenplay is adapted by Sarah Gubbins, and like like you said, brought to such great hypnotic life by Josephine Decker. I'm I'm glad to see her get a a little a movie with a little more higher profile yes. because she's so talented. Yeah, she's so talented, and a great choice to bring this to life. And we really recommend Shirley. Got another girl's name next, but totally different film as a teenager's weekend at a lake house with her father takes a turn for the worse when a group of convicts wreaks havoc on their lives. It's called Becky. Search continues for four inmates who escaped federal custody this morning. Authorities say the men are armed and extremely dangerous. Jeff, this gentleman lost his dog. Okay, well, why don't you give us your number? My dog is a Rottweiler. Purebred, or as the Germans call them. Okay, I think it's time for you to go. Stay calm. I'm looking for a key. It has this symbol engraved on it. You seen it? No. Well, that leaves little Becky. He's gonna hold your dad still while I hurt him. I'm not gonna let them get away with this. Becky! You're clearly a special girl! I don't wanna have to hurt you. But I do wanna hurt you real bad. Now, this one, I think, already got on a lot of people's radar because they started finding out that, ooh, Kevin James is playing a bad guy, playing a killer. But then, oh, wait, it's called Becky. So so who's Becky? Well, Becky is a 13-year-old girl who's angry. Very. And you know what is scary in real life and in this movie? Angry adolescent girls. (laughs) Yeah. Kevin James plays this neo-Nazi, and he's a leader of a group of neo-Nazis that break out of prison, and they head for this lake house, this vacation home, where Becky and her family have gone for for some time away, and apparently there's a key that the bad guys want, and it unlocks something very valuable. So before you know it, you've got a real cat-and-mouse game here uh, where the family is threatened by Kevin James and his goons, one of which, this dude, he's he's an ex- wrestler, uh, a guy that is six foot ten, Robert Mallet or Melee, 
plays a character named Apex. This guy, when you see somebody of that size in and around other normal-sized people, yeah. my lord, he looks like he's 20 feet tall. Well, it's funny. Joel, Joel McHale is in this movie, and he's right. well over six feet tall. Yeah, and, he plays and, Becky's dad. Yeah, yeah. And, and this guy makes him just look like a just a little twig of a man. <laughs> and in, in many ways, his character is more interesting than Kevin James' character of Dominic, who's actually the leader. But Becky gets outside. She happens to be outside of the cabin when the bad guys come. So she's got a little bit of a... She's got some high ground right away. And uh, they keep trying to lure her back and capture her. And she keeps managing to outsmart them. But I'll tell you, this one, it's sort of in sort of a B-movie thriller, but it, number one, it delivers the blood. Yes, it does. It's, it's mean in that way. And it delivers on the cat and mouse thriller, I think. It's not fantastic, but it's worthwhile. It is. I mean, it's a it is a home invasion horror film. Yeah. And uh, there are times where it it falls a little bit behind in terms of it's a little bit underwritten that way. And even though I think Kevin James, who is kind of is he just sort of following in friend Vince Vaughn's footsteps? And Vince Vaughn has been very impressive in this kind of third act in his career, mm-hmm. playing the heavies in some thrillers, indie thrillers. And so maybe that's what Kevin James is trying to do. And in early scenes where he's just this silent presence in in the prison yard, very effective. Later in the film, I just feel like he is not the menacing presence he needs I, to be. I have to say, I think some of that may be because of, of the writing. Yeah. It doesn't fulfill um, the the promise of maybe his character as much. But anybody that knows me, I'm not a fan of Kevin James. No. Uh, his comedy stuff, I think, isn't funny in the slightest. But I give him credit. and he, He's trying to branch out. Yeah. And you're right, especially early on, he's he's bringing it yeah. and, and, and doing a fine job. But I think it's a combination of... Him and the writing of the character, that you're right, you don't really feel that he is as menacing as they want you to believe. Right. Lulu Wilson, on the other hand, she brings it. She is fantastic. She She... brings it. Yeah, you might know her from, she's in the TV series uh, Haunting of Hill House. She's also, she was in Annabelle Creation. Mm -hmm. She was in Ouija, uh, Origins of Evil. She's She's, great. She's got that incredibly innocent face, and then filmmakers take advantage of that Mm -hmm. because she ends up not being very innocent in most of these movies, (laughs) especially this one. She is great here. And I will say, I really like, even though not not all the characters are fleshed out. Yeah. I, I, I love the ending. Oh, yes. I got to say, I love the ending because you think, are they going to go there or are they going to go over here? Oh, I liked where they went. I did too. I give them a lot of credit for that. And of course, we wouldn't dream of spoiling it. But this one is definitely rated R for a good reason. But if you're in the mood for that, as, a, as you said, a home invasion horror thriller, I think for the most part, this really delivers the goods. Agreed. And, and that is Becky. Next up is the latest on Netflix. In the not-too-distant future, as a final response to terrorism and crime, the U.S. government plans to broadcast a signal making it impossible for anyone to knowingly commit unlawful acts. It's the last days of American crime. That signal freezes you. It stops you from doing anything illegal. What the fuck are you? They use the signal to kill your brother. I want to use it to steal their money. What do you say, Brick? You a man who can help me steal $30 million? You can have money, but when you pull off the last crime in American history, that's legacy. So you want revenge. I want legacy. Big bloated mess. (laughs) Two and a half hours um, is the first thing. And when you're looking at a runtime of two and a half hours, right away, well, you better bring it. 
because uh, it can be a great film as long as you aren't, like you say, bloated and mm-hmm. just filling the time with unnecessary parts of narratives. And um, unfortunately, this this movie does that. It's an adaptation of a graphic novel. And if you were dreaming of a cross between Ocean's Eleven and The Purge, this might be your thing. Because it's a heist, and it's also a bit of this purge type of dealing with crime. As you heard in the synopsis, they the, the government has figured out this signal they can broadcast, and it stops people from committing crimes. So a plan is hatched by Michael Pitt and Edgar Ramirez. They're, they're together. Michael Pitt's character wants the legacy of being the last criminal, the last person to, recruit to uh, commit a crime, a big crime before a crime was done away with by this signal. And he gets uh, Edgar Ramirez, who has vengeance on his mind for the death of his brother in prison. And they're going to steal millions and billions of dollars. So that's where the heist comes in. And there's all sorts of double crosses. And there's this other side plot about a a cop played by Charlotte Copley. And, of course, the police are going to be out of jobs after this because the government, the federal government, is going to take over all the policing because, ostensibly, there won't be any need for sure, it. Right. So right there, they're right there. you've got a, a possible theme mm-hmm. of government overreach and state and all that sort, which is very, let's face it, it's very vital right now. And it just doesn't, doesn't get, get fleshed out. It's just collapsing under the weight of this noir theme and this noir writing that it's almost to the level of, say, Sin City. But where Sin City did that on purpose. And they delivered on that uh, melodrama with the visuals. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. But when this one, you just have constant heavy, dramatic looks and then dialogue like, you know, it's not my fault that I don't trust anyone. Uh, And then you get the story. I mean, yeah, it's over and over with this stuff. And the look of it is very, it's like intentionally noir but doesn't go far enough so it, it all looks fake nothing seems authentic and right. there are there are threads here that could have been explored like say that were explored in the first purge right and and, and, and actually in some of the purge sequels sure. that were there were better than others but overall this is especially at two and a half hours is just a big plodding mess that you'll probably lose interest in it's I, too bad I know because I because edgar ramirez and michael pitt oh, are yeah. both really really good and have uh, tummy gnosis yep. but have for some reason not really transcended to like the big celebrity status, and that's unfortunate. And I was the only that was the only reason I was looking forward to this movie at all. And um, that well, they were not enough. That's both, for sure. In, in different ways, it's kind of the same deal because Michael Pitt's character way over the top, and Edgar Ramirez's character way dialed down with just the steely <laughs> yeah. resolve. And yeah, you you just don't care about any of it. Let's stay with Netflix for the next one. It's uh, the chronicle of the ups and downs of four Indian-American students as they compete to realize their dream of winning the iconic Scripps tournament. It's Spelling the Dream. Ready, set, spell! These kids have put more time into spelling by the time they're 13 than most of us put into anything our entire lives. I study 100 root words and I take a two-minute break. Okay, I've studied all the words I can. Now it's just up to the word I get. He is probably the best speller in the world. He's like Michael Jordan. How do I win the Scripps National Spelling Bee? 90% hard work, 10% other. It's my last year, so there's really no room for error. Promise Schlenick. P-R-O-M-Y. Oh, wait, can I start over? 
this is just the most delightful, charming documentary, as you might assume, because it's it's funny to say it, but the script spelling bee makes for incredibly riveting fodder for it's, a documentary. And it's even better if you've already seen the documentary Spellbound right. from a few years ago. Which was so glorious and was Oscar nominated. And what the, my favorite part about this film is that the little girl who won in Spellbound, in Spellbound she has a part. She, she shows up in this movie as a grown-up, which just made me feel elderly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, you know, I mean, it's an interesting angle to take uh, because it's something like in 26 of the last 30 scripts spelling bees, an Indian American has won. Mm-hmm. And so and so they really dig into why that might be, which is interesting. But obviously what really sells this is just the time that you spend with the kids, ex- yeah. especially this first grader, this just uh, yeah. this first grader. God, he's cute. Yeah. <laughs> And it just reminds you, this movie and Spellbound, and then it also brings to mind that Science Fair documentary from a few years ago. Yes. You know, we're used to these sports-related stories and sports-related documentaries, but for the kids in school that don't play sports, there is just as much drama in these stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. these kids are all about it, and they might as well be, you know, throwing the Hail Mary pass when it's 4th and, and 23 or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there is drama here, and it's yeah, incredibly charming. Spelling the Dream. Next, we've got a film about the night of the strangest wedding in cinema history. A grotesque gang boss hires a stone-cold killer to bring him the finger of a fading, drug-addicted jazz legend. Now that is a premise. It's called Dreamland. Princess here is getting married tonight to the Countess's brother. Some kind of vampire. I think he's, he's got Olivia. Where's my bride? Dead. First come, first served. I want his fucking head! He wants a shower and a gun. Well, I knew you'd be into this because it co-stars... Henry Rollins. Yes. <laughs> I was so excited. And he's fun as he always is. But also, I was, I was excited for this one because it's Bruce McDonald and Stephen McCaddy. They are reteaming. And if you don't know who they are, you should. They, uh, many years ago, they put together a movie called Pontypool. Mm-hmm. And Stephen uh, McCaddy, he has been around forever. Oh, yeah. he, if you ever saw a history of violence, he's the guy who gets his face smashed with the coffee pot. <laughs> But you know he's done. Yeah. He's been around forever. Great oh, character actor. Great, yeah, great character actor. And it's interesting. Pontypool is actually about a tone that turns everybody insane. Mm-hmm. How odd. Anyway, <laughs> so I was excited to see what it, uh, what they would come up with again. And it is an interesting, very jazzy kind of a noir. Definitely a horror film. And again, Henry Rollins. Yes, please. And also, <laughs> actually, Juliette Lewis. Yeah. And she is just Nutty. relishing Nutty. the nuttiness of this because it's just weird from beginning to end. It's weird. And That's okay. McHattie plays actually two characters. He plays the drug addicted jazz musician. He also plays the hitman. Rollins plays this very sketchy club owner, and and there's a vampire, and there's just a lot of weird, weird stuff going on. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it very much. It is not anywhere near as solid a film as Pontypool, not even close. But it is an enjoyably weird mess. Dreamland. More horror next, and we like that. In the aftermath of a roadside accident, the line between the living and the dead collapses for a mother, a daughter, and a stranger. The deeper you dig. We're looking for your neighbor's daughter, 14-year-old girl. She's been missing since last night. Have you happened to see her at all? No. Echo Allen. Ring any bells? No. On the night that Echo disappeared, 
She reached out to me from the darkness. That's a mother's intuition. But then she revealed to me a sign. Tell my mother what you've done. A sign of the seven circles. It was an accident. It could have happened to anyone. The seven circles are unforgiving. This is from writers, directors, Toby Poser. And John Adams. And John Adams, who also Mm co-star along with their daughter, Zelda Adams. Mm -hmm. So quite a family affair. Who plays Echo. Yes, she does. And it's a micro-budget film. And to be honest with you, you won't really notice that. It is very, very competently made in terms of the visuals, the sound, just the production values of the film is very impressive. It's also one of those movies where you think you know where it's going and you absolutely do not. The performances are so good. All of the performances are really very good. It's tender as well. Every one of the characters gets to have sort of a fully-fledged character. It's just an impressive, impressive and creepy. Work. Creepy and eerie. And it's one that you can stream right now from the Gateway Film Center, which is here in Columbus, Ohio. Gatewayfilmcenter.org. You can find The Deeper You Dig. Got another documentary next. This one examines the infamous homoerotic subtext and the special place a film holds in the Nightmare franchise as well as the gay film canon. This is Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. For a lot of us, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was our introduction to, like, a lot of gay in that movie. In the 1980s, to be queer was to be this sort of diseased pariah. I think, in a way, Mark Patton paid the price for that. It was on the page of the script, and I knew we were treading in there. This is not a delusion that I'm having. You filmed in one of the biggest gay bars in Los Angeles. Oh, was that a gay bar? Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, you can play with it all you want. I wanted to be a movie star. This movie destroyed it. That's what made him go a little crazy. The movie was 30 years ago, and you're still pissed off at Dave Jaskin. You've been lying for 30 years about this. Yeah, I never wrote, you know, he screams like a woman. If you don't think that this is all interconnected, then you need to do your math again. This one premieres on Shudder this week, and it follows producer Mike Patton, who was the star of Freddy's Revenge, uh, Night Run on Street 2. And, and as he sort of takes you through the backlash that he faced, because the film was... So very gay. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of people that have seen Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and you bring it up, that's probably the first thing they're going to say. That movie was so gay. Yeah. Just the gayest horror film. And the the problem, the thing that you, you get right away in this documentary from Mike Patton, who, again, as you say, is one of the producers, which means we're going to see things from his point of view, mm-hmm. so that, that's that's fine. But you get the fact that he has still been haunted all these years by the fact that the writer, in many interviews, has blamed him, blamed his performance for what made the film gay, not the writing. And uh, this film, and Mike, takes issue with that. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting um, argument because the writer finally did say that, yes, there is a homosexual subtext, but he meant it. He meant it to be homophobic. And because of the performance, it turned out to be homoerotic mm-hmm. because, in fact, Mike Patton is gay. He was he was closeted in 1985 when the film came out. But, but what's also funny is that every time they bring up subtext, somebody else goes, subtext? 
Yeah. It's right out there. But the problem I have with that comment is that it's actually 100% accurate. Were it not for Mike Patton's performance, were it not for the fact that the the uh, homosexual nature of the film came to the surface, it would be unwatchable exactly. and hateful. But see, and that's what I that's what I never think the writer is acknowledging. Right. He's not acknowledging that as a problem. Yeah, he wrote a hateful film right, right. about about this demon that's inside you, which is your homosexual nature, and how the love of a good woman can help you overcome it. That's the point of the film. Were it not for the fact that Mike Patton was the actor, and so we actually got to... I mean, if you cut off the last ten minutes of Freddy's Revenge, it's a really fun movie. It's a great horror film. It's, it's unfortunate that at the end, the homophobic nature of it really shows itself but it's it's so funny that what the writer is saying sank the film is as far as i think most people are considered it's what made the film worth watching right but you never get the sense that that's what his argument is oh no it, yeah, definitely at, at not. and what really sets this movie up as a as as the conflict here what drives it is because early on mike Patton says the only way that he's going to be involved is if he gets to confront the writer yeah. face to face yeah. and make him answer for this. So that you pretty much know going in is going to happen at some point, and then the movie leads to, to that meeting. But uh, it is interesting uh, about Mike Patton's career because he he pretty much blames this movie for ruining his chance to be a big movie star. Right, because uh, it was 1985, yeah. and because and because it came the film came out uh, around the same time as the AIDS epidemic, right. and because being considered a gay actor, and of course he was a gay actor, it just really sunk his. What I thought was the most fascinating thing about the movie was actually his own personal life. What happened to him? I had no idea. Right. And that, yeah. I-, I thought, was worth digging into a little bit more. I actually, I-, I found that in many ways, the focus on the film itself made the movie a little less powerful than it could have mm-hmm. been. And then you get to the point where, where they talk to the director of Nightmare 2, and you're just like, uh, can you stop talking yes. right now? You're not helping. <laughs> no. What, what starts off is sort of a sort of a charmingly doddering, the yeah, more you just yeah. please stop saying words. Just yeah. stop saying please words stop right it. now. So you can tell that we found it interesting mm-hmm. and definitely worthwhile. Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, and it is on Shudder. It is. Got a foreign film next that's set in Algiers in 1997 with terrorists wanting an Islamic and archaic state. Women are oppressed with growing threats to the control of their bodies, their clothing, and their freedom in public spaces. Young student Nejma is passionate about making a fashion show. It's called Pepisha. This is the feature debut for the director and co-writer Munia Madur, and I apologize if I messed that up. It's a movie that tells you that it's based on, inspired by true events, mm-hmm. but it works better on metaphorical levels. It, it really does. And it's driven by a tremendous lead performance by Lina Kudri as Nejma, or else nicknamed Papisha, as she is this university student in Algiers in the late 90s, when the uh, Algerian civil war is raging and the religious extremists are beginning to take more control. So she keeps seeing more posters up about women are going to have to start wearing these coverings and more comments from people who, some of her friends and some of the people that run the stores in town that didn't used to be this militant and suddenly are telling her that it's a sin for women to congregate on Fridays and things like that. So she 
is a driving force. She is a, a has a passion for fashion design, and that's what she's at the university for. And she is a household also has a talent for organizing her friends, and she gets them to agree to this fashion show. Well, that's how they will show their defiance by taking the fabric that is used for these hikes. Uh, that are meant to be full-body coverings and transforming them into these beautiful dresses mm-hmm. that show much too much skin for the militants. And and that's the conflict here. And the, meta- the metaphors really work well. Obviously, the fact that they're controlling these uh, fashion designs is a metaphor for them trying to have some semblance of control right. over their own bodies. Mm-hmm. And it does work quite well, as does the relationship between these women, the friends, how they, as things get, as the dangers get more and more real and more and more stark, they lean on their friendships. Yeah, it reminded me of of other films that talk about religious oppression and the way that women in particular can really support one another, like the Magdalene Sisters. Yeah, very much. And it also reminded me of a movie I just just saw a few months ago called And Then We Danced. Yes. Where that one used the art of dance as this this man. That was his defiance. Mm -hmm. That was where he finally got a hold of his own identity and could show it to the world through the dance. Much like this movie uses the fashion design, but it's handled very gracefully, very thoughtfully. The big thing about this is, in the third act, boy, the tone suddenly and drastically, drastically changes. And I'm certainly not going to give away why, but it doesn't, but it walks right to the edge of maybe ruining the thoughtful narrative that came before but it's 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 really drastic in the way the uh, the tone changes but still i thought it was very worthwhile and and in the end what you'll remember is the way it treats these characters and finds little little moments of almost a, a helpless joy as they're trying to take control and and hold on to some freedom in their own lives and i thought it was very worthwhile and it's actually streaming right now through uh, the wexner center that's right at wexarts.org and we recommend papisha And another foreign film next. This one takes a foray into the uncanny. It's called Yourself and Yours. Writer director Hong Sang Soo made this movie four years ago, and it is finally getting international distribution. I know it's so. It's just such a weird, delightful little film, and it's another one that you you can stream from Mm wexarts.org. And it is about a couple who break up because he believes rumors that his friends are telling him about his girlfriend, which maybe are true. You know what? They're probably true. Wait, maybe they're not true. Is that even her? It's such, it's like a doppelganger, kind of a weird story. You're never entirely sure who's doing what to whom. And at a certain point, you realize it's because that is not the point. That is not what matters. What matters really is just the sort of befuddling wild ride that is love and it's just a charmer i really enjoyed it yeah the director has said i guess in interviews that he was inspired by brunel's the obscure object of desire but it's not like a remake or anything no that one i think was more um a little bit more hateful (laughs) but also it had two different actresses playing the female lead Mm -hmm. and and this one has that same kind of uh it's the same woman the whole time and she's wonderful but is that same sort of who is she who is this person so it treads on that same idea that your personality changes and that you're almost a whole other person sometimes and maybe you love that version and maybe you don't but that's about as close i think as you can get okay a lot of stuff and some good stuff to choose from this weekend but if that's not enough let's see what's in the lobby Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Uh, there's really nothing in the lobby because <laughs> we, it's we knew it would happen. We've caught up. That's right. There are no new movies, new 
VOD movies that had been theatrical releases. Right. We have caught up. But there's some good stuff to talk about because in, a, in response to all that is going on in the world, such sad headlines that we're seeing hour after hour, there's a lot of films that have been made free uh, right now, including at the top Just Mercy, which was a pretty recent movie uh, starring Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. And it is based on true events about a lawyer in uh, Alabama who championed causes of the wrongly convicted and wrongly sitting on death row. And it's it's a story driven by, it's a movie driven by these two lead performances. And it's not a bad movie, not at all. It's just that... When it came out, I remember we said it hit very familiar beats for these types of stories. But it still does a very fine job in exposing the systemic racism that's at the heart of not only some of this policing, but the justice system itself. And for that alone, and for those two performances, it is well worth seeing. So I I, I applaud uh, them for making it free. Something else that uh, you should take advantage of, just definitely take advantage of this weekend. The Criterion Collection Mm -hmm. has dropped the paywall on Criterion Channel for any film directed by a black director, including the absolutely glorious Daughters of the Dust from Julie Dash, which never got a, a, a wide enough release. Not nearly enough people have seen it. It is a must-see, and so please see it. But but that's not the only one. And the Criterion Collection, if you're not familiar with it, they collect really good movies. <laughs> so it will be hard to go wrong with any of those choices. Yeah, and another documentary that is free now is Horror Noir, an examination of black horror at the movies. Fantastic. Yep, Shudder. Really enjoyed it. Shudder That's is on making Shutter. that free. You can get to that for free whether you have Shudder or you don't, and you definitely should. It's so entertaining. It's just a wonderful documentary. And another one that I feel like is a must-see right now that you can stream for free at wexarts.org is called Cincinnati Goddamn. And it compares what happened in Ferguson to what had happened 20-plus years earlier in Cincinnati, Ohio, to to racially motivated police brutality murders, the riots that followed it. So it gives you a sense that clearly this is not a new idea. Uh, It's a really well-made documentary, and I I hope you take advantage because it was never properly distributed. So this is basically the only way you're going to see it. Yeah, all such worthwhile viewing. Looking ahead to next week, we've got The Five Bloods. That's the latest from Spike Lee. Can't wait. And that is coming on, is that Netflix? It is going to be Netflix. All right, looking forward to that. Also, Darkness Falls, Infamous, and Warning, Do Not Play. And there's four there, so if history holds, there's going to be about ten before <laughs> before we're done. So we'll uh, talk about those next week. In the meantime, a lot to chew on this week. Let us know what you're watching, what you're liking, what you're disagreeing with us about. That's fine. Always fun to keep the conversation going. On Twitter, you can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, where you can find all of our written reviews and our other Horror movie only podcast. Seems like we've talked a lot about horror this week. Yes. And that's good. Our other horror podcast called Fright Club, and a new one is dropping soon, by the way. That is all at madwolf.com. We always appreciate you stopping by. Do us a favor if you would to subscribe, rate, and review. Yes, thank you so much. And until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.